Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 27th episode of Season 9 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. One of those conversations is this week's episode. This is a special non-petty episode of the podcast, and I haven't done one of those in ages. Um, but former guest Jeff Slate reached out to ask me if I'd be interested in talking to him about his new single, which is out now, uh, and the album which it's from, which drops in May. Um, and being a fan of Jeff's work and his writing, it wasn't a hard sell for me to have him back on at all. Uh, we had a great chat about throwaway lyrics, production differences when you're bringing outside voices, and recording an album with people in remote locations during a pandemic lockdown. Jeff's new album features a glittering array of star names from Dave Stewart to Earl Slick, Duff McKagan, all the way to OG heartbreaker Ron Blair. Uh, take a look in the episode notes for details and where you can find Jeff's music. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my second conversation with the inimitable Jeff Slate. Tom Petty. Tom Petty. I guess we'll start off, Jeff, with um, thanks for coming back, by the way. First of all, you're my first repeat visitor. So this, this episode is going to be called Jeff Slate Returns. Very <laughs> ominous. <laughs> Return of the Slate. There you go. <laughs> and you'd reached out because you have a, some pretty exciting news. You've got a new single out right now um, and a new album coming out in, I believe, May. You are correct about that. So we thought yeah. this would be a good time to touch base and, and talk about some of that stuff and maybe a little uh, Tom Petty connection with this single that's coming out, Broken Without You. There is, uh, it's already out and there is a Petty connection and there's several Petty connections uh, um, on the record. Now that I think about it, there's even more. So the, the single was co-produced by Dave Stewart, who obviously worked on Southern Accents with Tom and was instrumental in you know, helping the Wilburys to happen because they used his house and you yeah. know, so on and so forth. And he was very tight with Tom and Bob, actually, and um, and George Harrison, of course. So, uh, yeah, I had this song that was, you know, whenever you're making an album, you always, you try to overwrite, you know, you try to come up with 15 or 20 songs that are going to get whittled down to 10 or 11. And we had it down to, I guess it was 10 or 11, but there was one that I was contemplating dropping. And the producer was like, there's, we're just not, it's just not happening, but this is a good song. Yeah. Neither of us, you know, when you've been working on it for a year, you know, we were doing this in the pandemic, so it was very difficult, but, or the tail end. Um, you know, when you're down in the weeds like that, it's very, it's like any project when you've been at it for so long, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. And I happened to be weirdly talking to Dave Stewart on the phone about something unrelated. And cause I had interviewed him and we hit it off and kept in touch. And I, I don't remember what we were talking about now. I think maybe he was coming to town and, and he said, you know, as you do, uh what are you working on or what's going on in your life and i you know so i was complete i had just gotten off the phone with the producer and i complained about this and he said oh well why don't you send it to me and i'll see what i can do to fix it up <laughs> and i was like well 
sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a guy who's made a few hit records in his life. So um, uh, I did. And it's funny, you know, the you can hear the when the album comes out, both versions are available. This is like a single bonus track, but the original version is on the album. And, oh, okay. you know, the 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 original version isn't that different. But, you know, he's a guy who obviously knows how to mix a hit record. And he knows what to add and subtract that lifts it, you know? And so immediately when he sent it back to me, it sounded like a completely different song. It wasn't, you know, but it was too. So, um, and you know, the great thing about these guys is they don't, they just do it for fun. Like it was just a, a you know, he's, look, I mean, here's the thing about Dave. He's got a studio on an island in the Atlantic where, <laughs> you know, the island is like several miles long and about a mile wide. He's pretty much the only major business on the island. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like, yeah, he's got a pretty good life out there. Because I, it's funny because I said to him, oh, hey, you know, maybe we'll come out and just do something. Because when he suggested that, I said, well, maybe we'll just come out. Earl Slick, who's working on the album with me, maybe we'll just come out and do something from scratch. He said, I don't think I have enough room for that many people. <laughs> two. That's two people. So. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like you could come but it might be a little cramped anyway um so uh you know he sent it back and it it really did change the atmosphere uh and i think that's the best way to think of it is the atmosphere had shifted and and also my relationship to the mix and the song and so on had had really changed and so i you know forwarded on to my label and he was i mean first of all anybody who runs a record label is thrilled when you submit something that sounds so polished, but you know, that you have Dave's name on it and his blessing and all this other stuff. You know, I, I mean, it doesn't mean as much as I think people think it does. Yeah. I wish, you know, I wish it meant more, but, um, but it meant something to me, you know, it meant something to me that, he wanted to be involved that he didn't send it back and go, you know, I, I don't know what to do or, you know, it's just not that good or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, really good guy and, and funny. And, you know, before I had interviewed him, this is quite a while back now, the guy who was mixing my record said to me, you know, he try to figure out what's the deal with this Dave Stewart guy. I mean, he's friends with Bob Dylan. He's friends with Tom Petty. He's friends <laughs> with George Harrison, Ringo. You know, all these guys that we idolize. What is it about this guy? And you know, the thing about it, he's a great hang. He's just, he's really, I mean, he's as nuts as they are, <laughs> you know? And I think, yeah. I, I'm not saying anything out of school. I think he would freely admit that. But he's also just, he's really smart. He's funny which i think goes a long way with those guys and look i think you know it counts for something in that crowd when you've had some success and it's not a you know it, it, it's you know there's no games involved yeah you know? so anyway it, it was it was really a thrill and and then <clears throat> as far as the record goes um uh jeremy stacy plays drums on a couple of tracks and jeremy was on ben montench's record Okay. And he was all on his solo record, which I guess is how I met. I, I don't even remember how I met Jeremy, but um, 
but he was also Noel Gallagher's live drummer for a long period of time. And his okay. twin brother still works with Noel. And Jeremy still does a lot of the drums on Noel's recorded work. But he's, he's an exceptional session musician and live drummer, of course. Um, he's played with, like I said, Ben Mott and Tom Jones and just, you know, this endless list of people. Um, so he's on a couple of tracks. And then Ron Blair, who is an OG heartbreaker, is yeah. uh, plays plays not just bass, but plays guitar and and slide, you know, like a lapsed uh, pedal steel on uh, on one track and, you know, bass on a couple of tracks. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, these were just, you know, the the the, the genesis was around 2020 um at the beginning of 2020 we had plans to go out on the road at the end of the year like everybody else so that was going to be me and earl slick and you know whoever the band was going to be at that time and um so we were going to make a record to sell at shows and to you know as you do and when the pandemic hit, obviously the tour went out the window pretty quickly because even though it was planned for October and this was like May or June, you know, it takes time. You've got to, you know, there's insurance and promoters and all that other stuff that I don't get involved in, but, you know, people needed to know, are we going to do this or not? So I thought, well, you know, I had this time set aside to at least make a record. And I had the songs I thought you know that I wanted to do but then I figured you know I've got all this time like everybody why don't I use that time to write as much as I possibly can see what I come up with is relatively I think for anybody it was a relatively reflective time you know sort of thoughtful time of course yeah but I thought you know I might come up with something different or you know more inspired or or and 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 also just to sort of play through what I had and edit, you know, editing is always a good thing. And it's a hard thing to do, I think, because these songs are very much like your babies. Um, and so I did. And, and uh, we, we released one song at the tail end of 2020 called Heartbreak. And the response was very positive. Um, and, uh, you know, that had, again, Slick was on that, Duff McKagan was on that, a couple of the guys from Paul Weller's band and so forth. So, it was, it, you know, it was, um, it was nice, you know, it was nice. Um, uh, Jordan Summers, who played at the El Ray show we did for Tom a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, and uh, Lee Harris from Saucer Full of Secrets. It was like a really nice group of people. And what we realized was we were able to make a record that sounded like a band in a room in the pandemic. You yeah. know, which which is a trick, you know, and I think that was the producer I was working with and the mixer I was working with. Um, Eric Lichter is the producer, a guy I've been wanting to work with for many, many years. He's got a, a very sort of Americana, Laurel Canyon vibey studio up in Connecticut in the woods. And Dwayne Lundy, who mixed it, who's in Kentucky. And he's worked with, you know, Willie Nelson and Ringo and, you know, all the all the, you know, just his list is amazing. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, we're, we were still in the midst of it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in and see what I can come up with. And like I said, I, I, you know, I would sit at my kitchen table a couple of nights a week and just sort of chip away. And yeah. some songs were, you know, felt 
like they were rising above and others did not. And, you know, um, and so that was the process. And then, and then just contacting people, you know, Ron Blair, like everybody else I contacted was kind of just sitting around, you know, he built a recording studio. He was, you know, just about the beginning of the pandemic. He, he built this recording studio. He had nothing but time on his hands. Yeah. So when you say like, Hey, can you, put bass on a couple of these tracks he was you know more than happy to and he had lots of ideas which was really cool you know because this is a guy obviously who's been in in a few recording studios in his life. <laughs> um yeah so that i mean that was largely how it came together but there is a there's a nice a nice heartbreakers connection to it which feels good i mean Ferroni was i asked Ferroni, but it just didn't work out and i asked ringo actually uh and and that didn't work you know Ringo's very picky obviously and yeah. and and Benmont was in Italy and you know there were just things that um couldn't happen but um you know pr pretty much anyone who had a home studio a full-on home studio who felt comfortable with the quality they could record at was willing was willing to do something well I think though that it does speak to to the strength of your songwriting that, you know, these, these are song people. Like I said, Dave Stewart's a song guy, right? I mean, he's just a brilliant ear for a song and, you know, whether albums or projects all come into that as well, he's got to like a song. So clearly for the, for this first single, this lead single, Dave Stewart thought, yeah, this is a good song. So I think that's testament to, it must be a nice validation as a songwriter where, you know, you know yourself whether something's got some legs. Like you said, when you're doing that self-edit, you can hear, yeah, that's, that's just something there I can work with. But when someone else validates that, that's got to be a nice thing, right? As a songwriter, you say, yeah, okay, well, that's good then. If people are seeing this, then clearly I'm on the right track. I mean, yes. I, I don't want to be... <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tell for... Look, I, I look at it this way. These these people are my friends. Yeah. And when you ask a friend... If you ask a friend to move a couch, they don't want to do it, but they're going to move <laughs> the couch. Right? So I don't know if Dave did it because he felt like he had to move the couch or because he liked the couch, you know? So, yeah. I, I, you know, that's the self-effacing part of me that like, yeah, I, I would like to, but I don't want to get big headed about it either. It's like you, you, you always be, I really genuinely believe that this is a, a sort of turning point stylistically for me that the quality of the songwriting and the recording is head and shoulders above the last four records um or three three records i guess it is that i made as a solo artist um you know that's my personal feeling but i i think until people start to hear it and yeah. respond to it you know for somebody who's your friend to say oh i really like this you know i, I don't tell people i like something unless i really do but that's me i think most people you know, it's, it's, it's an awkward situation to, to put them into, but, but yes, I mean, the answer to your question is yes, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that any, any one of these people who, um, you know, sends me a message that they like it or they, and, and musicians, of course, will pick out a particular piece, you know, yeah. they're very, you know, but look, you know, simple, simple, as I, I shared the news on Instagram last week and Ben Mon commented on it. And, you know, that's, I'm just a kid who grew up loving the heartbreakers. Yeah. That's like, 
you know, he was like, hooray. And I'm, you know, he genuinely wishes me well. And I think that means a lot to me, not just because he's become my friend, but because, you know, his well wishes count for something. So, yeah. Well, you know. And I would always take that at face value too, right? I mean, that that is a, you know, because you said, I mean, you're just a kid who grew up listening to the Heartbreakers. Well, Ben Mom was just a kid who grew up listening to all the people he grew up listening to. So it's the same Absolutely. thing. It's just a different Absolutely. different scale, right? So there's no, we do, we do, you know, people who are not sort of either connected to or have that sort of line on the inside of the music business or that side of it. Musicians yeah. kind of just like playing songs and playing instruments and collaborating and hearing things that get them off. Right? I mean, that's just what, that's why we all do it. You know, yeah. and like you said, I mean, I think that that's a, a really good point that, you know, a musician will say, oh, I love the middle eight there. I love what you did. Or I love that. Yeah. Change, or, and I've made a lot of notes on on the, the song that you've released so far that we'll probably get into some of it, but I made way too many to cover all of them. But um, <laughs> I do want the, the first, a, a quick comment, though, because you'd said something there that it feels like a bit of a maybe a bit of a sea change for you. And I think that your vocal on this one definitely feels a lot more. um, A lot more sort of subtle or, or not softer soft is the wrong word because it it sort of you can sort of read into the lacking power there but it just feels like you've deliberately pulled that back from where you usually sit it's a bit gentle a bit warmer and it's almost like a crooning style delivery where you're you definitely have a good rock voice and you can really you can belt so i was kind of curious whether that was and whether it's just this song or whether it's more the album where, where did that come from um yeah it's interesting that's a really interesting question i had um I had recorded, I think, all of the vocals here in my home studio and, you know, produced them myself. Some of them were placeholders, you know, some of them were uh, what we call scratch vocals. And some of them, you know, even when you do a scratch vocal, sometimes you just fall in love with it and it yeah. becomes the vocal because you capture something. Um, but I was, I, I went to uh, my friend Mark Platty's recording studio. So Mark, Mark worked with Dave Bowie in the nineties. He's worked with The Cure and Delight and, you know, Prince and a whole host of artists, but he's most, most known for his work with David Bowie in the nineties. And he has the same studio there that he did when he worked with David and we were there doing backing vocals. So he did some, I did some and uh, the, um, the vocalist from my live band, Shannon Conley, who people will have seen at the Tom Petty Weekend uh, in Gainesville. Um, she came in, you know, so we were, she did a little harmonica, you know, we're just doing, this is like final, final, final. You're just kind of like putting the icing on at the very end. Um, and he has this, he has this beautiful, beautiful microphone, like an old, you know, a vintage, warm sounding, microphone which is you know probably worth 50 times what my <laughs> microphone here at my home studio is yeah you know he's a he's an actual producer so um and there was one vocal i i wanted to take a stab at because i just wasn't happy with it and i i went in to the vocal booth when Shan everybody was done and i said hey you know if we've got you know we had a little bit of time let's let me just go in there and see what i can do so I went in and literally just sang, I, you know, we were all warmed up and it felt good. And, you know, all, all the stars were aligning, but I went in there and, um, you know, one take, I, I don't remember what song this, unfortunately, but I, it was, you know, there might've been one or two fixes, but I think it was like beginning to end a performance. And because 
when you're hearing yourself back with that quality and subtlety, your performance changes, yep. you know, you will give a different spin to what you're doing. So, you know, we got to the end and he was like, wow, that's it. Right. And I was like, wow, that's great. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of not happy with this other song. Should we just take a stab at it? And it was sort of the same thing. Again, it wasn't maybe a hundred percent perfect. I can't remember, but it was, you know, pretty close. Maybe only needed, but, but because of the, the vibe had changed, um, the way I was approaching them as a vocalist had changed. And, and I think also I had lived with these songs through the pandemic and piecing them together, the sort of jigsaw puzzle way of doing it from getting, you know, pieces from LA and pieces from the South Atlantic and pieces from Europe and, you know, whatever, <laughs> nuts. Um, so I had a, a, a pretty, I, there was an intimacy with the material that was almost, you know, like it wasn't my, they weren't my songs anymore. You know, they were, they like, not that they were covers per se, but they, they, I knew them so well, it was like I was performing somebody else's material, you yeah. know? So I think that lends itself to, you know, for me, a, a looseness that maybe I don't usually have. And I usually tend to do the vocals fairly early in the process. This was fairly late in the process. Um, but you're right. There were a lot of, it was sort of a perfect storm of things that led, led to that style. But I, I you know, that's a, that's a pretty good, um, catch because I, you're the second interview I've done that has brought that up. And I, you know, when you're, again, when you're down in the weeds, you, you, you don't really think about that stuff. Yeah. You don't, you don't have enough, you don't have enough distance from it to actually see it. Right. And especially well, and that was the thing with Dave yeah. fixing this song, he didn't do very much, but what he did do was such a sea change to me, you know, yeah. he added a little guitar, he changed the mix around, you know, it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't, night and day but it was to me because when you're so in it yeah you, you know it's it's really hard yeah well and i'm man i'm really looking forward to hearing that now because i again i mean that, i that's... thought i thought we sent you the whole thing but we will no definitely yeah because I, I mean it's the that's what i do on my podcast I dig into these songs at a, at a level that no one needs to hear me talking about but just that's where the joy of that is and that's where you i think you you learn about music because again if I listen to that version, then this version, and like I said, it might not be one version is better than the other, but if it's different, you think, ah, just putting that there changes that dynamic or it changes the feel of how that transition works. It can just change it 100%, right? And just make it something different and something new, which is why I love the stuff that we got, you know, from the Petty Estate, all those, you know, you get the, the original takes or the demos. You think, oh man, love. the evolution of that song is just so cool to see. Yeah, well, that's that's a whole other animal. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted I wanted to ask you about then the lyrics on this one, the, the single that I the one that I've heard so far, but it definitely sounds personal. This song because that's the way I live with thirty years of hurt does not throw sound like a throwaway line. It doesn't sound like a place or it doesn't sound like something. Well, that'll fit. It feels like there's something in there. It feels like there's a little bit of a story behind that line. It's funny because it it's one hundred percent a throwaway line. <laughs> oh, nice! It it just it, that <laughs> line. I was literally this this the, the thing about this song that's really interesting is I sat down at my kitchen table one night with the the chord progression 
and not much else and was sort of like flipping through my book of lyrics and had maybe a, an idea or two. I can't remember what, what the lines were and it, it just came from there, but it was not, um, there's uh i talked i've talked about this elsewhere but you know there's inspiration and perspiration you know yeah. and so it was not a song born necessarily of inspiration but it wasn't hard either it wasn't perspiration it was more sort of craftsmanship like i know how to write a song yeah and i had it in my head i had that the 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 verse chords and in my head i heard the smiths okay which you wouldn't get that from the finished no. product. And, and so the, the repeated, you know, how the, the words repeat, yeah. um, that felt to me Smithsy or 80s -y. And then the 30 years of hurt was just a line that fit. And I literally thought it's like the movement you need is on your shoulder. And John was like, no, I, I know what that means. You got to keep it. Yeah. 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 That was like, well, that's not true. I don't know what was happening 30 years ago. It just <laughs> fit, you know, the meter and the the, yeah. the tone of the song. So, I yeah, it's funny. Um, wrong. No, no, I, I, I no, don't know. That's what, awesome, I though. Because, see, yeah. it's almost even better as a songwriter, right? When you have that and you think, actually... You see that written down, you have that line somewhere else, or you think, oh, that's a good line, but I don't have any place to put it. And all of a sudden, it's like, aha, this is exactly where that line can go, or this is exactly the line I need here. Even if it is, you know, we use the word throwaway. We're not being dismissive when we say that, but we just want to not remember. That's so cool, though, right? I, I love that. I love that I'm wrong on that. But I do I, I do hear, you know, you're saying influences are dismissed or whatever, but I, I do sort of hear little bits of, you know, like Paul Weller, like Wildwood era Paul Weller, or the Pretenders, or that kind of stuff. So it's got... I don't, I can't, I don't know why, but to me, it's got like an English sound to it. And I don't know if it's just me connecting Dave Stewart to that, but it sounds more English than American. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the bulk of the musicians, certainly the rhythm section, I mean, the drummer is Paul Weller's drummer on, on, on okay. almost all the tracks, uh, Ben Gordelier. And then on the other tracks is Jeremy Stacy, who's also an English drummer. Yeah. They have a different way of playing, which I really like. It has a more, um it swings differently than american drummers yeah you know um i i think for heartbreakers fans it's the difference between sort of stan and feroni feroni's very precise you know he's very kind of he's got sort of a very session set he's an amazing drummer i played with him yeah. he's like a you know he's like a freight train behind you but <laughs> um but stan has that kind of ringo thing it's a little bit a little bit behind and it's a little bit swingy and you know um so if, if they can relate that way that's that's a very english style of playing even though stan is not the english guy in that in that bunch but anyway yeah. um you know i think i you know weller put out two records at the beginning of the pandemic he had just put out one and then he put out another right you know end of 20 beginning of 21 I was listening to that a lot, um, his music a lot. And he's he's sort of very like Tom to me in that the his work ethic is incredibly strong and the quality of his songwriting yeah. is always very, very, very high. There's not, 
you know, like with Tom's catalog, you can go through it. It's very hard to find, you know, even, even in an album you don't love, there's plenty of songs that you do, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's the same with Weller. I mean, I know there, there are plenty of people who were jam fans who didn't like the Style Council or who were Style Council fans who didn't like <laughs> the solo stuff or the jam or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but over time, I think they've all realized that the, the quality, the caliber of his, his work is just very, very high. He drives himself really hard. So I think, um, you know, I was listening to that a lot, but I also, you know, I know him a bit and, and our taste is similar. I mean, I, I just did mm -hmm. a, I just did a podcast. Uh, I just did a, um, I was guest DJ on a show that's sort of Weller related, the Captain Stack show, which is, um, you know, sort of within that fan world. And all the songs I picked, I didn't pick any Weller songs, you know, I mean, they played my single, obviously, I played a Small Faces song, but everything else for the hour and a half I did this were, you know, it was like the Delphonics and the OJs and the, you know, it's like that early 70s you know, old school R&B and soul, yeah. you know, not modern in any way, you know, really old school pre-disco. Um, that's what I grew up on. That's what I loved. Yeah. You know, if I wasn't listening to kind of the Kinks or the Who or the Small Faces, the Beatles, those were like, that was, those were my guys. Then it was the 45s I'd gotten from various family members and particularly my brother-in-law, because he he was a session guy and he did tours and stuff with a lot as a horn player. So he played with like the spinners and things. And, um, you know, that that's the music I go back to. So, you know, I don't think you necessarily hear it. Um, obviously, that there is a, you know, that that the connection, the intimate connection I have to, you know, late 60s early 70s black american soul music but by the same token i think tom had that too and you don't hear it you know i mean it's it's there yeah and it's what's you know part of it is the those records were made fast but at a really high <laughs> level of quality you know the, yeah. the the there was an intensity to them and i i think that's something that weller brings to it i think that's something that um, Tom certainly brought to record making. Um, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny. You should say that. I mean, I don't hear, look, I, you know, the, the Smiths was just the idea in my head. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause somebody asked me the other day, cause I do know Johnny Marr and she, she was like, Oh, Hey, have you played it for Johnny? You should play that for Johnny and see what he says. Cause it doesn't say, he'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? If I'd had him put <laughs> that sort of arpeggio guitar on it, yeah, which I now hear in my head, but you know, it would have been a different animal. But I also think that wasn't what I was going for. It was just sort of, that was the starting point. The ending point was something completely else. And, and that's, think, you know, that's where the craftsmanship comes in. Yeah, and I think that that's where, I, I, I do this lots when I'm listening to songs, I'm talking to people who've written songs. It, my, it drives my best friend crazy sometimes. I was like, oh, that sounds really policey. And it, it's not that it, it's not where you, you're not cribbing a line, you're not doing something that is overt, but there's just, a, there is a feel about it. And there's it's a feel. indescribable yeah. and undefinable things. I don't know why it sounds English to me. I don't know why I get kind of these little hints of Chrissy Hine might sing that line that way. You know what I mean? Like mm. It's just those little weird 
things. But I, I think the thing, you know, directly with Weller and Tom is what joins them is, is to me is that attention to detail. The work ethic behind, okay, it good enough's not good enough, right? Good enough is that's for yeah. other people. We're gonna make this as perfect as we can make it. And that attention to detail, I think, like I said, from this song that that I've heard so far is right there. There's lots of little bits in this song that when I listen, when I do my active listening is what I I think that's what I call it. I don't know if that's the real thing. Um, that's what drummers do when they're when they're listening to parts. Yeah. When I'm breaking down a song, it's like, okay, I'm looking for moments in songs. I'm looking for things that are like, oh, that's cool. I like that little bit. So there's, a, you know, the line after, we've got this French section in this song, which which I wasn't expecting. I, I don't speak French. I don't know what she's, that lady is singing. But there's a bit in it after Couldn't that. Couldn't even tell you. When, when it comes in, when you sing, when springtime comes, I will be there. And then you get the you will be loved call and response. And then the, on the last line of that section, when your heart turns, you will be loved. And that line is, it's doubled with I will be there. And yeah. then you get you will be doubled, you will be loved again. So just those little production choices, those little things, it's the little sauce that you can add on, right? Just to make the meat taste a little bit better. And I thought there's lots of those little moments in this song. I was like, yeah, this is a really, really good sign for the rest of this album if it's this good. Yeah. That's you know, it's funny, it's it's I I had a I had very I had a very mixed relationship with this song. I didn't feel like it was it maybe wasn't in my top five. Right. And the label was really like they wanted that to be the first single. Yeah. You know, we've already put out Heartbreak and The Poacher, which are both on the record, but they they wanted this to be the first, you know, in the run up to the May release, yeah. there's gonna be at least one or two more. This is what they wanted to do. And, and I, um, and the next single, which they already chosen, it's not what, I would choose, but then <laughs> Elton didn't choose Benny and the Jets. He was against Benny and the Jets. You know, yeah. it's like, I, so I, what do I know? You know, it's, and I think that's part of it too. It's like, I, I know how to make a record, you know, and I, I know how to do that part of it. The, the marketing part of it, you know, I'm fine. Sell, you know, I can do this and sell and talk about the record and make yeah. whatever, tell stories, but the, the, the actual, you know, salesmanship of it and marketing of it and the business of it. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's, that's, <laughs> I, you know, let, let them choose and let them choose the artwork and let them choose. The, I, I just don't, you know, if yeah. I hate something, I'll speak out, but I, you know, yeah. You're not as married to that side of it as you are to, because your job as a musician, as a, as a creator, as a songwriter, is to do the best job with the song that you can. And unfortunately, these days, obviously, most indie artists have to be promoters, social media experts, you know, brilliant in interviews. And some people just aren't. And it's a yeah. difficult barrier to entry for a lot of folks, right? But I think yeah, you've, got, like, you've got a great balance of it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a very lucky place where a, a lot of, you know, what I do as both a writer and a performer, they go hand in hand because a lot of the people I've gotten to know because I'm a writer, but then they've gotten to know my music and they like it. So then we become friends on a different yeah. level. You know, I mean, Dave didn't do this because I was going to do him a favor and write a story about, I mean, I can't, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. You know, it's like, he just did it because we hit it off and he, and you're right. I mean, if he couldn't have done something with it or didn't like it or whatever, I'm sure he would have said, oh, I tried and couldn't, you know, because yeah. his name is, you know, I said, can we, can we put your name on this? Yeah. You know, 
And he was like, I don't, I don't care what you do. That, that was like, actually, the, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. That's crazy yeah. talk, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like you said, I mean, once you get to that level, if you're Dave Stewart and you're Jeff Lenz and those guys who've been around, I mean, their reputation at this point is fairly bulletproof anyway. Sure. So they, they can take a chance on something that, you know, people maybe wouldn't expect them to do. But again, I think that that's where I always relate to people like that and artists like that, because again, I think they're, they're doing it for the song. They, they, at some level, they believe in that song and they think that it's strong enough and it's good enough that let's get behind it. Like I said, I mean, I would, you know, everyone's always self-effacing. And then this is the thing with musicians. Oh yeah. Rock stars are all arrogant. No, a lot of them are really, you know, no, we're incredibly insecure. I don't want people to talk about, you know, <laughs> like you're, if you meet somebody at the wrong moment or you, you know, you approach them in the middle of dinner or <laughs> at the mall or, you know, whatever it is, you may not get the response you want. But I think if you talk to them on any meaningful level about yeah. the work they do, we're, we're all, in, no matter who I've met, everybody has some insecure. I mean, unless you're, I, and I, I was going to say, you know, unless you're Jimmy Page or Pete Townsend, but they're they're insecure too in their own way. David Lee Roth, there's the name. Of, that, that's what I'll put in that category. If, if you, you know, someone whose ego is just so big and so bulletproof that nothing can get through, David Lee Roth is your man. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's that's a show, you know. I think oh, that's a show. But I I that, wonder. That's I, a whole I'm other sorry. podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other. Podcast. I've got well, I've got a friend who do a Van Halen podcast, and we talk a lot about it in the in the Discord server. So. Yeah. Um. Well, getting back, getting back to this song. So, what did what did that French um, language piece come in? Because the the female vocalist on this is is it pronounced easy? YC. Why? Why? Um. Uh. She was part of Noel Gallagher's band for a while. Uh. When he did the Dave Holmes record uh, a couple okay. of years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was it, again. It was something during the pandemic, and I was like, "Could you do something in French here?" Right. <laughs> like, and and I don't, you know, it's funny because we're performing it now live. You know, we're going to start. We have a show on Friday night, and okay. the the vocalist who sings with us, you know, who's here in New York, has to learn this. Yeah, and just by coincidence, her her vocal coach is uh, French, and I'm like, wow, that's not very <laughs> rock and roll, but but go for it. You know, whatever uh, you need to do. Because, you know, there's some talk, you know, we're going to have to do some TV and things like that. And, you know, there's like, it's exciting. But so you want it to sound good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it's you know, at, at a certain point in record making, it stops becoming you. And it starts becoming this song that exists you know, at a certain point, every painter has to step away and and accept it is finished. Yeah. And I think at that point, your relationship to the piece of work shifts. That it 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 can't be changed, but also it's a bit at arm's length, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just part of the song now to me, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I, my best friend who I hang out with who, who produces the the songs that I write on, and he says that when he writes, basically, because he's a, a you know he plays regularly, he's, he's a gigging musician, similar to you, and so he says that once you've written the song, recorded it, you get it finished, and, and finished is obviously always in, in in air quotes. But he says then what you've got to do is figure out how to cover that song, 
on stage right. because now you're covering your own work because, okay, well, I don't have exactly that singer. Or I don't have this bass player and they're not going to play it exactly the same. That section, I kind of wish we'd done this. So maybe we'll try that out and we'll see if that works on stage and yeah. people react to it. So things do evolve, but they evolve on stage, right? The record is set. Are you sort of, when you look back at that, if you look back at stuff you did sort of 10, 15 years ago, do you look back at old work fondly? Or do you are, are you one of those guys who really only says, "Man, I wish I hadn't done that," or "I really wish I'd done this"? Or do you are you okay living in the bones of those old those old songs the way they came you out? You know, I, ju- I was just talking about this with Earl Slick the other day that you know when you put out a record, you hear, and when you're making a record in particular, you can hear all the mistakes. You hear all the things you would have done differently. Ten or fifteen years later, the stuff that was driving you insane that you wanted to change or that was you know keeping you up at night. It, it all disappears. Yeah. Now, I think, I don't think that's true for everybody, but I think it's certainly true for anybody who's made more than five or 10 records. I mean, I think if you've, if, if it's, look, this, I've been doing this now since I was a teenager, you yeah. know, I've made a, a lot, you know, I don't know, a lot, a lot of records, 10, I don't know, you know, studio records, um, more, I guess um it's it's very hard to um they just are what they are now i also you know i'm not really actively like you talked about active and passive i don't i'm not really actively listening to like i'm i don't choose to put on a record i made 15 years ago of course yeah occasionally i have to for a reissue you know, there may be a remix or there may be something somebody wants for film or TV or whatever it is. And I have to go back and kind of listen through some things. Um, but yeah, they, they just are what they are at a certain point. I, I kind of, I mean, look, you know, I think, you know, there's this great story about George Martin went to visit John Lennon at the Dakota in the late seventies and John had been very unkind about George <laughs> as a producer in the press. And at one point, George Martin says the way he told it is he said to John, um, you know, is, is it true you hate all those records and that you want to, you re-record them all if you could. And John said, absolutely. And he said, <laughs> even, Stra- even strawberry fields. And John went, especially strawberry fields. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, like that's as perfect an encapsulation of that moment in time as could exist. Um, And yet, as the artist, all he heard was the flaws. So I, I, I relate to that part of it, but I also feel like you got to, you got to let that go. You know, the only thing that gnaws at me is there's always things you feel like you could have done better. Right. You know that that later in life, later in my career, I've thought I could have edited those lyrics. I could have lifted that song better. I could have, but there's, you know, they are what they are. And, you know, as the, as the writer, I get to perform however I want. So if I drop a verse or change a verse or whatever, it's like Dylan, you know, they're living, breathing things. You just approach them however you want, I think. And that's the far end of that spectrum, is Dylan, right? That's the sort of the the far end of um, yeah. the evolution. The record of is just one part of it. Yeah, you know, it it's it is a living, breathing entity that you can approach at any time from any point of view. So, talked about, you know, you've been doing this for a long time now. Your process, I assume, and the, the songs that we're, we're talking about here, um, "Broken Without You," 
you said like it's a, it's a chord progression that obviously I'm sure you're just sitting around strumming and then think, wait a minute, that kind of sounds, I quite like that. And you've got that F sharp minor passing chord. Oh, there's something there. I can do something with that. And then you go back and you, you obviously then you, you write lyrics, I think. So the way that you write songs and the, when you think about, you know, going back and thinking, well, I don't like that. Or maybe I, maybe sometimes you think, I wish I'd spent more time with that. As you've gotten older, has the way that you write changed? And as you're sort of self-editing, has it changed? Has it improved in your mind? Like, has, how has that grown as you've grown as a songwriter? I, I think early on, I used to sit down, you know, when you're when you're young and just starting to write, you hit a you hit a patch where it's just pouring out. And you will sit down and write three or four songs in a day. Yeah. You know? And they feel, and I mean like sit down with a guitar and beginning to end, write the lyrics, and it'll all be fully formed. And I think at that point, it's very hard to step back and see an edit, you know, and right. like the, I could make this better because you think everything you do at 24 or 25 is genius. You know, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. I think, I think what you realize later in life is you're not a genius and that, um, you know, editing and fine tuning really do make demonstrable improvements yeah because like we were just talking about this is forever you know this is going to be this is going to be the record you know yeah. like you got to live to live with this until you die so you know there's there's a record where we're working on the reissue of of my, the first album i ever put out with my my sort of punky band in the 80s from 84 85 so it's an anniversary reissue and you know, it's pretty tough going to listen to some of that stuff. Yeah. You're, I get why Weller just want to play those songs at 66. Of course. You're not that, you're not that person. You know, you're not 18, 17, 18, 19 years old. So, um, but, you know, you have to sort of s separate yourself out from that. And, you know, it's it, it just, it's a historical piece of history. Anyway, um, by the same token, the bulk of these songs were that kind of plucked from the sky thing. They they really were songs that I didn't sweat too much over. Right. There was some fine tuning. There were some lyrical changes here and there. There were a couple that I I you know I just couldn't get this verse. I just couldn't get this. And the where they started and where they ended may have been very different to me. But if 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 you or anybody else were to hear them it would you'd have to really pay attention to to see the differences so i think it's um you know sometimes you're just in a place where you know the the last record i made secret poetry was very much um it was hard work and yeah. i think people like it but it's not my favorite record for kind of that reason yeah it doesn't mean like I hear the songs and I'm like, oh, it's better than I remember. But that's a weird relationship to have with your songs, like better than I remember. Yeah. Whereas there are people who ask for those, like, you know, could you play this? Could you play that? You know, whatever it is. Um, there's there's kind of only two, two songs on that record that we play with any regularity and really only one. So I, I think it's, um, um, 
you know, records, albums, whatever the people, the, the kids call them these days, are are <laughs> time capsules. They're moments in time. Sometimes you are in a great creative space. Sometimes you're on a deadline. Sometimes it's a bit of both. Sometimes, you know, it's like it's very hard. Uh, and 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 I can remember where I was in 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 all of those records. If you put it in front of me, and I can sort of you know flash back to that. Yeah. This this was a this was a really unique time. I mean, I think a lot of people use the pandemic to sort of churn out stuff, and I didn't. I I wanted, I had the time, and then the label, you know, because once we made the deal and the pandemic was over and it was like okay well now we can put out the record and you could tour it then everybody was putting out records and touring it so like do you want to put out a record when nobody's going to pay attention yeah because so so it it was originally going to be you know more a, a yearish ago and then it was going to be last fall but you know last fall was the christmas rush and so how do you get you know not just guys like you but anybody to pay attention if they're inundated with new releases yeah so the label you know so the record's been in the can for more than a year but the the almost a year and a half now but the label was insistent and and it made sense to me that that you know do you want to put it out when nobody's going to pay attention do you want to put it out when you have a chance of of getting people to listen to it. Of course you want people to listen to it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm already well on to the next two or three, but um, so it's, it's actually fun to go back and to look at it and say, this was a moment in time where I really worked hard to, to do the best that I could and use that sort of David Bowie approach where you're like a casting director, like, I know who the, the, it's not, I didn't just use who was available because everybody was available. Yeah. It was like, I knew the two tracks that Ron is on for, for Petty Fans. I knew that he was the right guy for those songs. I knew his style was right for those songs. They have a heartbreakers vibe. Right. And particularly those are the two tracks that Jeremy Stacy plays the drums on. He's very like Stan. He has a very Stan Ringo kind of style. Okay. So I thought, well, that's that's going to work, right? Um, so uh, so yeah, you're a little bit playing casting director, but I had the luxury of no deadline. Yeah. You know, uh, these things are always, 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 always made on deadline, even if it's self-imposed. You know, like you know, I'm going to be doing shows, and that was part of it. You know, we knew we were doing the petty weekend down in Gainesville. And I was really pushing them like, let's get it out so I can have it for, we had, I think we did 15 shows last October. That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> Including those. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't I want to have product to sell? Yeah. But the label was like, okay, well that's fine, but it's not like you're never going to have more shows. And I think you should just, you know, it, they were looking at a bigger picture. Yeah. How do you get how do you get Mojo to pay attention? How do you get Uncut? How do you get Record Collector? How do you get guys like you to pay attention? It, you can't do it at a time when everybody's inundated. Yeah, for sure. And that's where you've got to, like I said, I mean, that's where the you just have to sort of step back and hand that little piece off, right? And say, well, I'll I'll sort of trust that you guys know what you're talking about. Uh, hopefully, you're right. <laughs> so, 
But it's funny you, t- you talk about, you know, going back to, you know, people requesting songs that you sometimes you think, oh, geez, I don't even know what key that's in. I wouldn't even know what it's like. I love that anecdote about um, Mary's new car. And he was like, oh, you should play that tonight. As if, we, as if we'd remember it. No, we don't remember right. how to play that song, you know. But so I had a quick question on the, with, um, when you sort of, you talk about, you know, you do this in pandemic, you've got people in LA, you've got people in Europe, you've got people all over the, all over the place contributing to these songs. Is it then, well, it must be more work to get a co- cohesive album out of it rather than it just becoming a set of songs. Like, how do you feel that it came together as an album versus sort of a, a snapshot of lots of different songs do you think you would is, is that something the album does i think the the songs themselves are i mean there were more songs but these are the ones we chose because they're sort of of a piece okay you know they do fit together yeah a lot of it for me has to do with the fact that there was a producer it wasn't me corralling all these people, but there was one person, Eric Lichter, who was, not that he had a particular vision for it, but there, there is a connectedness in the style, right? Right. No matter who, you know, whether it's, if it's Mick Talbot from the Style Council or Ron from the Heartbreakers, you know, it's gotta be cohesive, okay? Yeah. And then I think the, the, the biggest trick was we spent, so there's this guy named Dwayne Lundy in, um, who, who mixed it. And because of the way we made the record, we over-tracked, we over-recorded. There were too many guitars and too many keyboards yeah. and too many. And my, I had a lot of conversations with him, not, not listening and not, but like, let's go for, there, there were records I pointed to that um, that we were going for a particular vibe, you know? Yeah. So that there was a cohesiveness. So that when he went to put pieces together, even if it was, you know, something by a relatively famous person, if it didn't work or didn't fit, it didn't work or it didn't fit. Yeah. Because beginning to end, it had to feel like a cohesive whole. And it had to feel, you know, I I said this, I think this was somewhere in the press release that it was like, it's sort of a manifesto part of sorts that my first record with the badge in 98, my old band, felt like you know i was making an artistic statement and then my first solo album in 2012 felt like a you know this feels like you know sort of a stylistic shift it feels like um and so i wanted it to sound that way you know i wanted it to sound like uh i'd learned something and that you know it was it wasn't just the next you know because i all due respect to the records I made in between the record in 2012, Birds of Paradox, and this one, you know, one was for fun and one was on deadline. And and I, I love them both for different reasons, but this was more, I had something to say. Yeah. And so when I described to him 
the mood I wanted it to have, the what I wanted it to evoke in people. I think as somebody who knows how to make, like the last record I mixed with, with an engineer, but um, you know, I turned this over and said, this is the, these are the emotions I'm trying to evoke. Do your magic, you know? Right. And so I think, I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. And, you know, there were certainly times when it would come back and I'd be like, I'd be missing parts that I love or whatever it was. But I think also, you know, I had to accept that the, the, the whole was greater than the little, you know, details that I might've wanted to hear here or there that would, that yeah. would have cluttered it up. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, how you can hear every instrument and it doesn't feel cluttered. And I think that's a really important thing in this day and age, you know, it's I'm laughing because I'd written down pretty much that exact same thing on this yeah. song that I just listened to. Like there's a lot going on in this song and I've just finished it. So the last two seasons of the the, uh, the podcast have been full moon fever into the great wide open. There is a lot more going on on those records than you necessarily think until you really listen to them. So Absolutely. getting that separation of sound and getting the right mixer engineer on a, on an album like this, it's, yeah. in, it's incredibly important. How important is that? Do you think? having an outside voice as a producer? Because I think, to my ear, always, a lot of Southern accents when there were different producers or Tom and Mike were kind of producing alone and Let Me Up I've Had Enough where they didn't have an outside voice. There was no, you know, there was no editor who wasn't close to the songs. I think those are the weakest songs, uh, weakest albums in terms of production. And I think having that outside and saying, eh, yeah, I know that you like that little sort of guitar run there, but... I think we should lose it because it's maybe clashing with this frequency. So having somebody will say that and sort of take those songs and, and look at them from that perspective, how important do you think that is? And especially with this, with this album, if you are trying to say something cohesive. I don't know that I was trying to say something cohesive, but I wanted to feel cohesive. Okay. Um, it's very hard as an artist when you are presenting essentially your new babies yeah. to the world. <laughs> to turn over artistic license to another person. But I also think, you know, with time and experience comes the recognition. I mean, early on, I was always happy to work with a producer. And then I went through a long period where I, you know, I had some bad experiences too. And I worked with some very yeah. famous people and, and they don't always know better. And we'd get to the end and neither of us liked it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how that works. Um, you know, having that trust and, and also knowing that at any point, you know, I ultimately can make a decision. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm on Columbia Records and they're, you know, forcing yeah. somebody on me. It was a choice that Eric and I made to work together because we wanted to for a really long time. We talked about it for 15 years. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it was, it's partly trust and also partly knowing that, you know, there was a safety net, you know, yeah. but, you know, I think it isn't always the case that more ears make things better, but I think <laughs> at a certain point in your life, you have to have a sense for who's good and who's bad or who. Because here's the thing, too. Eric and I don't necessarily agree. I mean, he's a big fan of, like, CSNY and, and or CSN and the Laurel Canyon Sun and whatever. And he would do these, 
layered, 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 layered backing vocals. And it would sound like the fucking Eagles to me. And I was like, ah. <laughs> you know, no more with the Eagles. But I also <laughs> knew, I also knew in mixing that the guy who was going to mix it was going to use what he needed and not use what he didn't need and, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, and at one point, that's what I was talking about earlier, working at Mark Cladney's studio. I went in and Mark and I did some of the backing vocals to rough them up a little bit because Eric has a very smooth voice and they were very sort of Beach Boys Eaglesy. And I, you know, when when we added ours in, they had a, a little more edge to them. Right. Um, and so then when Dwayne went in and mixed them, he could sort of mix and match. If one song needed soft, he had soft. If one thing, you know, another song needed a little rougher. You... So, yeah, I mean, I really, I cannot stress enough, and this is something I've only just realized recently, how crucial Dwayne's role as the mixer in the process has been to it. Yeah. Because he made sense of, you know, here's the perfect example. I don't know that Tom Petty fans will know this so much, but you will, that there's a great record in Be Here Now, but because of the way it was mixed and it was on deadline and because of where they were at artistically and as people, we got 70 minutes brick walled. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's not that those songs aren't good because if you hear the demos, Noel's demos from Mesquite on the, you know, in the box set, there, there's some great songs in there. They're better than and, what came and, out on the album. Yeah. They, in a lot of cases, they are 100%. I'm totally on board with this yeah. conversation. <laughs> None of them needed to be seven minutes. None of them needed to have a minute intro and a minute outro. And every, yeah. you know, and he would admit that now, but he also can't face remixing it. But fans have done edits <laughs> and they're fantastic. But it, it needs more than that. It needed a lighter touch, um, you know, a little less bombast, but that's not where they were at. And they, yeah. you know, they weren't in a place. And I've, you know, I've been that age, I've been 27, I've known, or whatever they were at the time. And I've, I've, you know, you think you have all the answers, and they certainly felt like they had all the answers. And that's what you get, right? Yeah. Um, in retrospect, I think we can all agree. I, I think most people can agree who have really paid attention. There's a pretty great record there. It's just not there right now. You not know? as good so, as it should be. Yeah. 100%. Not as good as it should be. Yeah. 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 Interesting, yeah. No, that's well. I mean, okay. So, well, I might ask you a question then. Are you happy with the album? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the thing. You know, it's like I've I've. <clears throat> I mean, you know, you're always proud of anything you do when it comes out because it's exciting. You get caught yeah. up in the momentum of it. But I've had the great luxury of this having been done for an extended period of time. And before I started doing these interviews in the last week or so, I went back and listened to it. Like I just late at night, put on my headphones and yeah. listened to it beginning to end. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's something, Yeah, you know? And that's pretty exciting. I mean, there's, there's things, there's always things you wish you'd done differently or there's, you know, you always want to second guess yourself, but it, it sounds great. And I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, really tickled that, you know, there's a lot of people on it who I've admired my whole life career, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I, you know, 
Petty fans will will relate to this, but you know, I remember being over my my one of my best friend's houses in the 70s, and his brother had the first two records, the first two Heartbreakers records. And we would borrow them without him knowing. <laughs> and we were really into them. And then right around that same time, then the torpedoes came out. And I remember being totally like knocked out, like every song on that record is amazing. And the sound of it is so yeah. fantastic. And, you know, people, it's hard now for like second or third generation fans to relate to hearing it the first time in 1979. But I think to, and Hard Promises was very important to me too, maybe even more important because I was more aware uh, as a musician at that time. But I think the most interesting thing to me is that you know, these, I, I, I'm now, I now know these guys, but also like the guy who played bass on those records, which we, you know, when you hear, when you think of American Girl in your yep. head and you think of that intro, it's that bass. It's Ron. Part that, it, it's Ron, right? It, it, yeah. So he's on the record. That's a full <laughs> circle thing yeah. that as a, you know, even just as a music fan blows my mind. <laughs> you know, so that's, you know, so my relationship to the record is probably, you know, it will evolve over time after we played the song some and, and people have reacted to it. But it's for me, it's it's just um, it's just exciting, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so album comes out in May and I'm sure then are we looking forward to a tour? What's the, what's the plan for, for once the album hits shelves? Yeah, we were, it's it's a little in the work. I mean, yes, the answer is yes. Okay. May May right now is full of shows. Um, and May is always full of shows. October is pretty full of shows. We're trying to figure out if we're going to go overseas. Uh, maybe do the UK and Europe. Nice. Um, you know, that was, we'd gotten an offer to do a, essentially a festival in, at the end of July, which is going to allow me to go for an extended period of time and play smaller places. You know, you get enough for a gig like that where it can kind of offset if you're playing in Sheffield or, you know, wherever yeah. it is, you know, <laughs> I, I love my people in Sheffield. I, I, I actually have some very adamant, uh, very serious fans in Sheffield. So I'm not, no disrespect to Sheffield, <laughs> but smaller crowd, you know, than, than a big festival. So, um, and that, that I guess isn't going to happen. So we're now trying to figure out, you know, I, right now I'll probably go over, do um, the obvious places, you know, do maybe a launch kind of an acoustic gig in London and a full gig in London, probably do you know, Liverpool and the L's, Liverpool, Leeds and Leicester, you know, the places where yeah. you can draw a decent, you know, the, like that. So it, it's all, it's all TBD, but right now in America, we're doing um, May and October and then filling in the gaps as they come. But, you know, it's weird. There's already stuff. We're already talking about stuff for 25. So it, it, it's, <laughs> again, I try not to, I try not to get too involved in that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And I assume, are you going to be in Gainesville again this year? Hopefully. I love playing there. And we had an amazing time 
in uh, 22 and an even better time in 23. I mean, my band did double duty because they backed me up, but they also backed up Jake Vessel, yeah. which was, you know, they did, they worked really hard. And then we also did the all-star jam. So it was a, that was a, a lot of work, <laughs> but you know, that's, it's one of my favorite events of the year. You know, I, I can't imagine we, we had last year, we did, we did a Dylan fest in Duluth, Minnesota. <laughs> we did a Dylan fest in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they have the, um, his archive. And then we did the petty, weekend in Gainesville so last year was really see again those things were all set up assuming that the record was going to be out right right so now we're in a position where we've done those things last year now the record's out but we did those things last year so I have to respect if those promoters are like well we'll bring in 25 but we don't want to bring this year but yeah I, I you know I think Gainesville if I have to go down there, you know, by myself without the band, I, I would a hundred percent do it. Yeah. Um, because I just had the best time in the world and, and the people are amazing. And, and I, you know, there's so many people I know from Tom Petty nation and so forth. So, yeah. um, it's just a good time, but you know, the difference between doing it in 2022 with a, a local band who were great. And last year with my own band, yeah, who had been on the road the entire month of October playing those songs. And, you know, it's just a different thing. Yeah, you know, totally. you're, you know, it's, it's no offense to the people who backed me up in 22 because they were fantastic, but they were almost strangers. Yeah. Right. They're trying to figure me out and I'm trying to figure them out on stage in front of however many people. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we had, technical issues and we had all the usual things with my band and it was like everybody just kind of filled in the gap and you know made it happen so yeah hopefully it will happen if not this year next year but i'm i'm that's a long-winded answer to say i want to come yeah and i mean i'm i'm really 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 hoping you're there for selfish reasons because i'm going to be able to get down there this year so i've got uh -huh. it in my calendar in ink it was in pencil up until about a month ago now it's in ink so i'm really really ink. excited to see a bunch of people down there. I mean, it's going to be a, it's always a good time down there. And I'm like, I said, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I love this first single very genuinely. I mean, you know, people come on and you, you sort of have to say, well, you know, I listen to everything, but I, for petty fans, um, this song, you're going to be able to get in. I mean, broken without you is the name of this first, the lead single. You're going to be, you're going to find a very easy way into this. You know, it, it's something that you're going to be familiar with. There's organ on there. There's piano on there. There's multi-layer guitars. There's a very, Mike Campbell-esque kind of rock and roll guitar solo or two, actually. We've got two guitar solos. Um, so yeah. there's lots of entry points for Tom Petty fans. I think you're going to love this song. And I'm really, I think I said, I think it's a good portent for how good the album's going to be. I really hope that uh, I really hope that people listen to it. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about Weller. We talked about Tom Petty earlier and, and Dylan and all these people. And, you know, I don't think my music sounds like any of them. No. But I also sounds like you. It sounds like me. I understand that. But it also, I think for fans of that kind of music, it is old style rock and roll, which is what those guys play. Yeah. And if you like, you know, kind of Americana music with an R&B vibe, which is what those guys make. Yeah. You know, I, I think you'll, like you said, you'll find the entry point. Fantastic. So where can people find you jeff tell people where they can find you on social media your website where can they find the album and give, give us give us the dates again when things come out so uh i'm 
Jeff Slate everywhere on social media. <laughs> the, the website is jeffslatehq.com. Uh, dates, live dates are always on there. Um, the first single, Broken Without You, is out on streaming services now. The album comes out, I believe it's May 17th, around the world. And uh, it's beautiful. It comes with... Uh, so the the infamous or famous photographer Bob Gruen shot the cover, who shot John Lennon and nice. Pistols and the Clash and you know all these people. Um, and when you buy the record, the 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 front cover photo slides out. It's a little Bob Gruen print. So it's no it's way. very fancy. Yeah, it's very like yeah yeah. It's very swanky. We'll send you one. And um, uh, so that's out May seventeenth, and it's. I think the album's 10 or 11 tracks and then there's a bunch of bonus tracks which are like the singles that have already been out and remixes and things like that. So it's, you right. know, it's it's, been, it's a nice little package for your for your hard-earned dollars. But I, I will tell you a story that I thought of earlier when we were talking about things where, so when I was a kid, you know, uh, obviously there was a record store in my town where, um, you know, on, on release day, I'd go down there on the bus with my little, you know, paper route money or whatever the hell it was and get the new releases. And I remember when double fantasy came out, I went down and got double fantasy, <laughs> took it home. And I had the liner notes. So I'm, I'm at home and you know, there I'm reading all these and there's this guy, Earl slick who plays on double fantasy flash forward to a couple of years ago, we played at an outdoor festival in my hometown and I'm on stage with slick <laughs> and we were facing where that record store used to be. <laughs> right and so i'm playing i think we played a lennon song like i just said i wanted to do it just to like tell the story you know that if that isn't full circle if that isn't like an amazing trajectory where yeah. you know and i get notes you know regularly from friends of mine particularly when records come out or something you know significant happens in my career you know people i grew up with who are like i can't believe you do what you said you were going to do when you were 12 years old. That's yeah. crazy. And, you know, I think part of it's tenacity, but part of it is just, you know, it's just, it's just luck. It's just happened, you know? So to be standing on that stage with him across from that record store, it's like, how does that, how does that happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's also a lot of really, really hard work. There is a lot of yeah. perspiration. There. And I know that you are a guy who works very hard. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, but I, but, but, you know, it's, I was talking to a manager friend of mine the other day and he said, I'd gotten, as people can tell, I got a cold from, you know, we did an event, we did a meet and greet afterwards and I signed a bunch of stuff and, you know, all the usual took a bunch of selfies. Of course I got a cold. It isn't COVID, <laughs> but it is, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. And he said, you got to remember they're paying you to play, not to work. Yeah. And that's a really good way to think about it. Like I'm in a, yeah. and I wasn't complaining I never, you know, I, I, I'm I'm just incredibly fortunate to be doing what I do for a living. By the same token, like you said, it's it's work. The the part of it that, you know, when when I was when my son was really young, he he wanted to be Liam Gallagher. I don't know what that meant, but he would stand <laughs> at it. He would make a little microphone stand out of like you know whatever plastic stuff little fake microphone and he'd stand with his hands behind his back and he'd, you know, sing at the TV. <laughs> and I, and at the time, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Pete Townsend. And he said, I'll bring him, bring him to the who show. I want to show him around. And so Pete took him around. He was like four or five years old. Oh took him around God. backstage. I know. Took him around backstage 
and showed him around to like the catering and the trucks yeah. and the lighting rig guys and all the teamster guys, you know, setting up and breaking, working their asses off to yeah. put this show on. To give him a sense that, I mean, he also let him stand on the stage when the lights went up in Madison Square Garden and that was the end of the, <laughs> so much for that lesson. But by the same, but he did give him a sense that it's a lot of work. You know, yeah. that it takes a lot of people working really hard to make this happen. Yeah. And it's not just about, you know, the the bells and whistles. So yeah. I, you know, it's uh, people, again, I'm not complaining and I'm not trying to dismiss the fact that it's it's an amazing way to make a living. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's just a great job. It's a it's a job. Yeah. It's a great well, a job that I it, I always get the sense that you just love it. There's oh, not, yeah. a, not and every post I see on Facebook, you clearly every interview that I read that you post is like, yeah, this guy just loves music, and that's why I think I always sort of felt yeah. this little bit of a connection because it's like I get this guy, I know where this comes from. I'm exactly the same in that kind of regard. So yeah, I mean, I you know, it's I'm excited to have a record out. I'm excited to work with these people. I'm excited yeah. to be friends with Ron and Dave Stewart and you know whoever else. I'm excited to interview Johnny Marr. You know that came out a couple of weeks ago or whatever. It's it's like. Or Chrissy Hine, you know, earlier yeah. in the year. It's, you know, that's a that's an incredibly fortunate position to be in. How could I how could I grumble about that? Yeah. You know? So uh, and and look, the state of the state of music journalism and the state of the media is terrible right now. I just happen to be in a position where because I have both music and writing, yeah, I don't I I, I can almost pick and choose my projects that's a very very special place to be yeah so i i have no complaints in that but you know it's it's a yeah it's there's there's no bad news in this <laughs> well there we go folks jeff slate has returned he's got a new album coming out go check out this single immediately but i like get i like getting money to yeah. artists because spotify and apple doesn't pay people right so i always like trying to, so when when the cd comes out folks go buy real media you know it's not a lot and even do. if you then stream it go buy a record because it does make a difference for artists go see jeff play because he's he's playing all the time you can go see the Wilburys, you can go see dylan any of these millet bowie i just saw you were doing some bowie tribute yeah stuff. yeah we did a bowie show <laughs> yeah i mean look that i mean that is please buy the merch we've got nice shirts and nice t-shirts and i mean uh cds and all that other stuff put a lot of effort into that and that'll drop to the bottom line, but come to the live shows. I mean, that is the thing that makes it, it used to be that the artists were doing the labels a favor by promoting these records. Yep. So they would give us some support to go out on the road. Now it's the other way around. Yeah. It's like, they, you know, the, the, the late, not that the labels are hurting by any stretch of the imagination, but the, you know, they may or may not make their money back. But once I'm out on the road, that's money that drops to my bottom line. So yeah. it's, you know, that that is what keeps it going. And that's why we do, you know, we'll do a big chunk of shows in May and a big chunk of shows in October. And that will essentially keep us going for the bulk of the year. So um, yeah, I'm, you know, that's, yeah. But again, no complaints. 